This is an ABC podcast. He was a snappy dresser, an art enthusiast. He drove a sports car. He was a gentleman who came from the wrong side of the tracks and one of Australia's greatest swimming coaches. Hello, I'm Amanda Smith and this is Sporty. Harry Gallagher died last month at the age of 96 and this program is remembering him as one of Australia's most successful, astute and enduring coaches. Among his many swimmers, he coached Olympic champions John Henricks, Michael Wendon and Dawn Fraser. I thought I was probably the greatest coach Australia had ever seen and I was only a bum really, but I met a bigger bum when I went to Balmain because that was Dawn Fraser. I did notice yesterday that when you were training, your hand was going on after your elbow. Uh -huh. On the recovery, your elbow was hitting the water first. Yeah, it? I could feel that. When I was pushing through, my hand was coming out the water. Yeah, I think your head's a little bit too low too. Yeah. That's Harry Gallagher coaching Dawn Fraser back in the 1950s. And many decades later, he was still keeping an eye out for a new champion. That girl there made national qualifying time for the 50 metres backstroke last weekend. So proud of it. All these kids in that lane, you're looking at lane four, are national state level. They've all come through and it's beautiful. And the little guys on the far lane, the guys that are blowing bubbles and have flippers on, well, we've just got to make them love what they're doing at this stage, not necessarily be champions, just love what they're doing. So they say, Mummy, I want to go back to swimming. That's what we've got to do. In 2001, I met with Harry Gallagher at the Hornsby Aquatic Centre in Sydney, where he was head coach. He was getting on by then, well into his 70s, but still enthusiastic and full of yarns. So here on Sporty, we're revisiting that interview in his memory. Harry Gallagher was born in Sydney in 1924. He grew up in St Peter's. He was the only child of a single mother and grew up in pretty grim circumstances, actually. He went on to coach 24 Olympians and along the way, his swimmers won nine gold medals and set 52 world records. Now, that's an impressive tally, but even more so when you find out how inauspicious a start he had in swimming as a child. Well, I didn't learn to swim. I uh, unfortunately had to swim because I was drowning. It was in the Cooks River in Sydney, which was a very unsavory spot with dead cats and dogs and cows and tins and you name it, bags of kittens. And because I fell in, I had to learn to get out and that's why I learned to swim. From then on, it's been water all the way. Well, your first job, I think, at 11 years of age in 1935 was as a broom boy in a, uh, a jam factory. And then during the Second World War at 18, you joined the army. Did swimming figure in your life as a teenager? Yes, I was a reasonable self-taught swimmer when I got to the army. And then uh, because we were stuck up in the tropics with not much to do when there was no action, we decided to uh, teach soldiers to swim. And it was a survival thing. I didn't know what I was doing really. I was uh, flying by the seat of my pants and I taught them how to swim with their shirts on and their shoes on and then they carrying their rifles and it became sort of an endurance thing. And it was probably the worst pool I've ever been in my life. 
was full of snakes and snails and frogs and cockroaches and leeches. And the leeches, when we get out, would be all over our bodies and we'd take our trunks off and, of course, there were the leeches in the most unmentionable places. Well, that pool along with the... Uh Cook's River when you were a child. Sounds like you've swum in some pretty horrible places. <laughs> I've gone up since then and as you can see looking out this window, this beautiful Hornsby pool, how lucky I am to be here. Well Harry, when and why did you decide to be a professional swimming coach? I think really because I had the desire to create. I didn't realise it was to create people into better people. I thought it was something creative like writing or art or making things. And uh, I had the ego, being a Leo, that I had to do something, show my skills. And I took a little learn to swim situation at the cabaret at bars where I remember I taught two little kids to swim and got eight shillings. And that was the way I started off. And what sort of a coach were you in those early days after the war? Did you know what you were doing? No, we really, I didn't, and I don't think anyone else did either because we'd go and spy on each other to see what the other team was doing down the road. And if we thought that was sensible or better than what we were doing, we'd transpose that into our program. No, we didn't really know what we were doing at all. We probably gave them too much weight training, too much running, too much swimming, too many vitamins. Uh, we probably overcompensated for our lack of knowledge. But you were obviously experimenting all the time. Yes, and I've ruined a lot of little kids along the way. I, you know, Talbot has a program where he says, right, you get 100, Harry, and you, know, you hit them like hell, and if one gets through, you've got a champion, which was a great way to think about things if you had a lot of kids. But I got mine through by love. I said I loved 100 of them, and if they dropped away, the one that stayed me loved me the most, and that's the one that performed for me. Now, I think in, in 1950, you applied to study with Frank Cotton, who'd been a former New South Wales state swimming champion and was at that time the professor of physiology at Sydney University. He became known, I think, as the father of Australian sports science. What led you to want to study physiology and with Frank Cotton? Well, it was a strange marriage, this, because I had no education whatsoever, no rights whatsoever to get into a university situation. But I was starting to produce very good swimmers, and Frank Cotton was always at the North Sydney Pool, and he used to come up to me and say, oh, you're doing a good job there, and I'd, and I'd ask him a leading question, why do you think I should really do this or that? And so he opened back doors for me and got me into the university to do this course. And from him I learnt lots of things. And I must say, even though I'm rather modest really, that some of the things I said and did in that class opened a lot of eyes, which became standard practice for the years to come. Well, as far as mentors to your uh, development as swimming coach go, you had Frank Cotton on the scientific side of things, but there was also, I think, Percy Serity, the athletics coach, who, if anything, was mistrustful of the kind of scientific training that Frank Cotton advocated. Where did you meet Serity, Harry, and what did you learn from him? I listened to a radio program in which he was coming over like he used to do, very uh, full on. And I thought I'd like to meet this guy and anyway I drove all the way down to Portsea in Victoria from Sydney in a great little sports car I had and I got down there and the fact that I arrived in a great little sports car didn't really impress Percy Serity at all who ran everywhere usually without shoes. Anyway we got over a meal talking quite well and we started to find out that we'd done a lot of things together like 
when I was a kid, I ran away from home and tried to work around Australia and I got as far as the Blue Mountains and I, I got lost and I cried and I hurt myself and fell off my bike. And he told me when he was 50 years of age, he decided to run away from everybody and run through the bush and in the nude and swim in creeks and bugger the world sort of situation. And that year he came out and won the Australian marathon which was magnificent at the age of 50 so we started to gel and then we started to share our secrets you're listening to sporty it's amanda smith with you with an interview with the australian swimming coach harry gallagher that i recorded 20 years ago at the hornsby aquatic center in sydney we were in the club room looking out at the pool where his swimming squad were starting their afternoon training session harry died last month at the age of 96 Now, his two great champions from the early part of his career were Dawn Fraser and John Henricks. And it was really purely by chance, uh, but also instinct, that he came to coach these two. His first meeting with John Henricks, who he would coach to two gold medals at the 1956 Melbourne Olympics, well, it was, as Harry puts it, as if by divine guidance. Well, this was a situation I can't really understand One day I drove across to North Sydney Pool to see a school race. I think it was a Fort Street Boys High School annual meet, yeah. And um, I watched the races going on. I had no reason to be there, didn't have any swimmers. And I watched the 440-yard race. And lo and behold, this little guy called John Henry swam in last. I mean, we're talking last by 30 yards or so. Anyway, I got a sort of a feeling about it. I couldn't tell what it was. He was rugged and he was rough. And anyway, I went up and said to his father, I'd like to see if I could coach this little boy. And his father looked around and thought I was talking to the wrong person because he said, no, my boy ran last. He said, in those sort of caps they've got on, they all look the same. I said, no, I know this is a boy. I said, I'm a professional swimming coach. He says, oh, here's my business card. He said, well, give me yours. And I didn't know what he was talking about, so I didn't have a business card. yet. I'm very naive then. And anyway, eventually... I conned him into coming out the Dremoyne bars one Sunday morning when it was teaming cats and dogs and the boy and I related straight away and within two years he'd pulled an Australian record off and a couple of years later he was an Olympic champion and one of the best kids we've ever had, yeah. A couple of years later, Harry Gallagher encountered Dawn Fraser for the first time and I think encounter is probably the right word for it. As Dawn tells it, she was really quite suspicious of him at first. Yes, I was, because coming from the industrial area in Belmain, we had our bars and all of a sudden this suave man came down and and took over our bars and put lanes down and and had all these kids swimming up and down and and took all of our swimming area. And what right did he have to come when we found out he came from across the river in Dremoyne, a suburb called Dremoyne in Sydney? You know, we, we sort of were a bit annoyed about it. We told him to get back to crummy drummy as we used to call it and uh, he took some notice of me he believed that he could make me into a swimmer and he kept pursuing me and I didn't trust him in the beginning because I guess he was suave he had a car and where did he get it from and I had all these questions that hadn't been answered and I wanted to have them answered. So how did he win you over? I, I guess he put the idea of swimming travel and going into state to competition in my head and he said well why don't you come over and train and have a look and see how we train and I started doing all of that he pursued my mum and dad and 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 talked them over and 
then sort of I said, yes, I'd like to try it out. And Harry's recollection of that first meeting with Dawn at the Balmain Baths? Well, you know, by this stage I'd probably won a couple of state titles, so I thought I was probably the greatest coach Australia had ever seen, and I was only a bum, really. But I met a bigger bum when I went to Balmain because that was Dawn Fraser. We went over there one day to train in the long 100-yard course pool, and we're halfway through our training program, and Dawn Fraser arrived with all her little hobos from Balmain and started to dive bombers out of the water. I was quite irate and went up and told her so, and she abused me back just as as I abused her, and that was the way we started off. What a beautiful romance. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is that Dawn Fraser saw you as this sort of toff from uh, Dremoyne, and for that reason took a set against you. But in fact, you'd had an even more impoverished, difficult, abusive childhood than Dawn had. Oh, yeah, Dawn was poor, but Dawn had love. Yeah, and I missed out on both those things, unfortunately. But Dawn never knew about this. She thought I was too classy for her. And I always remember when she first came to the Dremoyne pool too, she said, I'm going to swim in there with all those shearless from the private schools. Look at them with their uniforms and stockings on. And here she is with a ragged gag old swimsuit and a singlet, you know. And I said, come on, Dawn, we'll put you in another load on the side. But, and, you know, it was a, a sort of a professional love almost straight off. A standoff sort of situation where no either wanted to lose the other one but didn't want to give in. Can you put into words how you identified her as having potential as a swimmer? Well, it's only by comparison of people I already had. And although she was rough, I couldn't believe that she slithered through the water with this sort of great, speedy, flowing action like a little fish. And I thought, now if I only can harness this child and get all that energy harnessed into a 55-yard event or a 110-yard race event, no one will ever catch her. Eventually that's how it turned out to be. 18 months ago, Dawn was the first woman in the world to break the magic minute for the 110 yards freestyle, a feat for which she is quick to give due credit to her coach, Harry Gallagher. Yes, Harry and I have had a, a terrific relationship as far as pupil and coach is concerned, and uh, we've had our um, disagreements and we've had our agreements, but it's always worked out for the better. And um, Harry has helped me along um, quite considerably, and he's got me to the top. And probably this is why I get into so much trouble, because I stick by him. He's the man that's got me here, and he tells me what to do. And I take notice of that, because if I didn't, I don't think I'd be a world champion today. Well, Dawn Fraser's attitude to and, and battles with Australian swimming fish, officials over her career are well known. What was your relationship with those who ran swimming in Australia, Harry? Well, I was considered to be in their class, I suppose that's in inverted commas, but there was a clique of these guys and um, they were sort of snobbish and against us. There was only one or two genuine men in there at the top who realised that even though I was a trier, I was probably good for Australia and gave me a break. And there was a guy by the name of John Morrison who was really good. And he kept giving me information about what was happening with the Australian Swimming Union at that level and what I should do next and things like that. But no, not only did they hurt Dawn when they kicked her out for that long 10-year stretch, they hurt me like you wouldn't believe. Because, I mean, it's like having... Just imagine, for instance, Ian Thorpe is disqualified now for something he's 
trivial what happens to his coach, eh? It's the end of his life, really. And that's the one thing about Dawn Fraser. She came to me early. She was the greatest swimmer of all time, female, swimmer of the century. But getting her so early in my career, no one else that's ever come through since has been equal. It's like winning the Grand Chess Championship on the first game you ever play and never win it again. So everyone else said to me after that, oh, you've got another Dawn Fraser there? And in your heart, you know, you haven't. <laughs> but I've got a wonderful girl coming up here now that's so exciting. She's got all the attributes of Dawn. She's half the size. And I've had her learn to swim two years ago. And she's seventh in Australia now for age, over 100 metres. And yeah. She looks good. Talking of the way swim, professional swim coaches were regarded in Australia in the 50s and 60s, how did you get into the Olympic pool in 56 to watch John Henrik's race, for example? Yeah, that was unique. I'll never forget that one because I nearly killed myself in the back of a chlorine truck under a canvas. I had to give the driver, I think it must have been five pounds at that particular stage, and he smuggled me in under the canvas along with the chemicals, and I finished up in the chemical room underneath the pool. Then I had to wash the stuff off me and get out into the... And that's the way you did it because... All the officials had passes. The coaches weren't given passes, even though we were their official coaches, which is unbelievable when you think of it. I remember Dawn, me coming to the gates at the Rome pool and looking in. I said, Dawn, well, you better go in and you better do this and I'll try and watch on the gate. And she came up to me and she pushed past the guards and she grabbed me by the shirt. And she said, this is my coach. He's coming in. If he doesn't come in, I don't swim. Of course, she was a heroine there for sure. She signed a million autographs. They knew who she was. And I said, yeah, I'm a coach. So when I went after that, but I mean, you can't believe this, that, you know, we were treated this way. No money, nothing. Now, can we just go back back to, to 1956 and those first uh, Olympics for you? In the book you wrote called Memories of a Fox, you describe a scene at the Olympic pool in Melbourne in 56, the, the night before the Olympic swimming races started, I think, where you're sitting in the stand in the darkness with Dawn Fraser and John Henricks. Can you describe that scene and what it meant to the three of you? I think because I'm a bit of a romantic, I wanted to set a scene like you would if you were, just imagine taking the Melbourne Cup winner around the track at four o'clock in the morning in the fog with the jockey and say, this is the track you're gonna run over, this is the way you're gonna do it. I sat them up in the stand, there were a few lights down in the pool. I think the cleaner was still working away down there. And though it's raining like hell outside, I remember that in Batman Avenue, the rain was pouring down the glass windows and all the cars flashing past with their little red lights going on every now and again. It was eerie. It was almost like being in a womb. It was warm inside the pool, cold outside. There was water lapping. And I said to these kids, you know, you've made it. You're Olympians. In a hundred years' time, your families will say, I remember John, I had a granddad. He was an Olympian. Oh, Dawn, I had a grandma. She was an Olympian. I said, well, you can go better than that. No coach has ever coached the winner of the men's and women's 100. No two kids from the same club have ever done it. And no two kids have ever made the world record. If we do this, this history will last for a long, long time. 
and it still has lasted, by the way. So that was the setup I put to these kids. And they went out there, and Dawn was crying, and John Hendricks was tingling. And this is exactly what I wanted. They're coming down with only about 10 yards to go, and it's neck and neck. Leach and uh, Fraser and Crap, Fraser and Crap, and it's to the line, and it'll be Fraser first, Crap second. But Dawn Fraser has beaten. The As they come to the touch, it's going to be either Devitt, no, there's Hendricks, Devitt, Chapman, Hanley, and I think Australia could have got first, second, and third. What a wonderful night this is for Australian swimming. And this is Sporty with Amanda Smith, remembering the veteran Australian swimming coach Harry Gallagher, who died last month. This is an interview with him from the archives. Another top Australian swimmer trained by Harry was Michael Wendon. He won a bronze, a silver and two gold medals at the Mexico Olympics in 1968. For these games, Harry was actually the coach of the whole Australian swim team, although it was an appointment that he saw at the time as a bit of a backhander. The Australians from Union thought this was a throwaway team. We had no chance to win a medal. So what did they do? They gave me 24 or 25 kids, average age of 15, no chaperone, no doctors, no support staff, no assistant coaches, just Harry and these little kids bawling their eyes out half the time because they were three months away from home. Anyway, I decided the only way I could prove a point was to get the best kids that had a chance and concentrate on them 100%. So I got together with Mike Wendon three months before the Games and I said, Mikey, we're going to do something that no one has ever done before. And I don't even know if they've done it since. I said, every night when training's over, we're going to get at the end of the pool and you're going to dive in and you're going to go the fastest 25 metres you've ever gone in your life. And then you're going to say, I'm going to go back and do it again. And this time... I'll be better than I was before. And I'll time every one of these, Mike. We might do a dozen, we might do 20. But in the end, week after week, you're going to turn out to be the fastest 25-metre swimmer in the world. He didn't see what I was getting at this time, but he did it. And he had great power, great determination. And he's a boy who is a man now who has great determination in his life as well. And this is magnificent because this is... A, the material I was looking for in this kid. Anyway, when we got to Mexico City, he was ranked about 13th in the world. He went in with a time of 53.7 for the 100 metres, and the world record was sitting at 52.2, so he didn't have much of a chance. So anyway, we got through the heats. I didn't let him shave. I made him wear two swimsuits. And he scraped through into the semis. At the semi, I took one of his swimsuits off, made him shave his legs, gave him no cap. Well, we didn't have goggles in those days either. Got into the finals. Then I did something that could have wiped both of us out for life, but the story's never been told. They called the finalists for the 100 metres up into the official room where the kids are put in before they're paraded down on the deck. So I sucked in my tummy, had a tracksuit on, a towel around my head, and walked in with Michael Wendon and sat alongside of me. So there were eight swimmers there, plus me. So you were pretending to be a swimmer? Yes. And I sat alongside of Mike, and all the other Shalandas looked at me, and Mark Spitz looked at me. They didn't know who I was. 
They took Michael's wrist and took his pulse. They wondered what this was all about, you know. And just before the guards came along to marshal them out into the deck, I got up and I said, well done, Mikey, I'll see you later, mate. Bring back the gold medal. I walked out, of course. That flattened, I thought, the intention of all those people in the room, except Michael. Anyway, we'd already planned what we were going to do to win. I said, Michael, no matter what happens, you're going to swim this and you're going to pretend that the race is only 75 metres long. You haven't got a tumble turn, you haven't got much of a start, but you've got to go like hell down the first lap. He went like hell, but he was behind a guy called Zachary Zorn, who was the world's fastest boy over 50 metres. Anyway, he came out of his turn and by the 75 metre mark, he knew he had to be in front of the 75 metre mark. Well, he wasn't, but he was very, very close. And I said, what are you going to say to yourself when you get to the 75 metre mark? You're going to say what you'd said to me a thousand times back in Scarborough. This will be the fastest bloody 25 I've ever swum in my life. And he did, and he won. So that was the point of all those 25 metres, to make the last 25 of the 100 the fastest he could do. It's winning the race psychologically long before the event comes off. And this is what we've got to do. Well, I think uh, also in experimenting both physiologically and psychologically in your coaching, you weren't uh, above tricking your swimmers into faster times too, Harry. For example, didn't you uh, doctor the stopwatches in training so that, according to the clock, the swimmers were swimming slower times than was actually the case? Yeah, I did the reverse of what all the other coaches were doing. When a kid would swim, the coaches wanted to get their egos up and make the kids feel good. they say, oh, Lorraine, that wasn't a 30, that was a 29.7. Oh, you're going so well, which was a fib. I did it another way. I made my clocks read slower. So when they timed them, or I might even hand the watch to a parent and say, will you time Dawn or John on this 100? And they say, oh, well, it's 58.2, but really it was about a 57.7 or 8 because I'd had the watches doctored. So the kids were like, shit, that's not good enough. I'm going to do this again. And this is exactly what I wanted. And so what I did, I tricked them into putting out greater and greater than they had before. But you were fibbing to them. No, I wasn't fibbing to them. I manipulated time on my side. Did you ever tell them? Did you ever let on what you'd done with the stopwatches? Um, not for many, many years. As a matter of fact, I've still got those stopwatches in my little archive at home here. Yes. Well, Harry, you're uh, now 77 years of age, I'm I think. I'm not saying that under any circumstances. I think I'm much younger than that. I look 77 because I've had a hard life. Well, we put it down to that, all right? No, I think you look a lot younger. I'm just going on the figures. But um, here we are at the, at the Hornsby Aquatic Centre. You're speaking excitedly about this new young swimmer you've got. What's kept you coaching this long? I don't know. It's the creative urge, I think. You know, it's getting someone like this girl, or these children I have now, and you see the raw material there. It's just like a piece of clay that's coming into the sculptor's place. And you think, boy, I can do something with this. And it's not only creating them as far as their body's concerned, but getting their minds to turn around. I'll give you a good example of this. There's a little gal I got here. And uh, I said, I think you can be very good, but you've got to try and get up to 30 k's a week now because you're only young and we'll take you slowly. Anyway, one Saturday morning, she said... Dad, I want to go training. He said, you're not going this morning? He said, I think you've got a cold. And this girl is 11 years of age. She said, Dad, 
if you do it right, you've got to be committed. Mr Gallagher and I are committed, I'm going. That's the attitude. And that's the moulding. And these are the people we look for. Give us a look at it. Oh, wee. That's a new suit, eh? Look out, Clemmy. Here comes Daniel. Swimming coach Harry Gallagher, who died on the 21st of January this year. I recorded that interview with him 20 years ago when he was still going strong with young hopefuls at the Hornsby Aquatic Centre in Sydney. He was head coach there through till 2009 when he was 84. Harry's long dedication to training Australian swimmers started back in the late 1940s with the likes of John Henricks, then Dawn Fraser and later Michael Wendon. In the 1980s, he was inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame, awarded the Order of Australia medal and made a member of the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. And I reckon he gets a gold medal for storytelling. Sporty is produced by Damien Rabbit. I'm Amanda Smith. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.